the Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nookie spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my new friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Happy game day Friday. It is another edition of Sandos and the Sidekick. Very exciting show. Segment two, my tag team partner on all the ETSU football broadcast, Matt Wilson will join us. We'll go from, uh, you know, a retired quarterback for about 15 years or so to a newly uh, hang him up in Austin Herrick. And I should say that. I guess he played in Europe recently and now the offensive quality control we talked to him on Wednesday we'll talk to him now more of his duties and more of what to expect from ETSU as they go on the road against Appalachian State then bold predictions where uh, Mike is still bitter and is going to be bitter for quite some time that I was able to sort of uh, catch him in uh, in a season-ending tie so we will make predictions not just on the season coming up we'll come up with a couple two three season long and maybe give you one or two uh, for this week coming up in the first week, first full week of college football. Of course, ETSU on the road at Appalachian State, 3.30 airtime tomorrow on the Buccaneer Sports Network, 2 o'clock pregame show coverage. If you don't know how to listen to the game, it's very easy. You can listen on 640 WXSM, the Extreme Sports Monster, or 104.9 Nash Icon. You can download the WXSM app as well, as it's uh, another good way we'll have full coverage Mike Gallagher, Don Hellman, and a slew of others back in the studio. Robert Harper, myself, uh, Matt Wilgem, and a, a guest guy uh, we'll talk about uh, tomorrow. We'll be in the booth as well as we get forward and looking to ETSU and Appalachian State. So we kick off this Friday show with Mike's uh, – Did you say guest guy? What is a guest guy? Uh, it's a guy. Sounds like something you would say. It's a guy. Guy. What up, guy? It's a guy and he's a guest. It's a guy and he's a guest. Oh, he's a guest guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. I do not know a guest guy. He's a guest guy. Guy. So silly. How did I not get that? It's know. Friday. How did we, we jump there? Been a long week. Yeah. Let's, hey, by the Friday. way, it's Friday. It's Bull Prediction Friday. Mm. Good to have you back. So happy to have showed up. I, I was planning on just kind of stumbling over here whenever I had the chance to get out of bed. Um, thankfully, it, as it turns out, it is Friday. The day, days all kind of blend together during the school year. Uh, you know, when, you, when you've got students back on campus and you've got games kind of every single night. And so... The fact that it's Friday and I show up for a show that we do three days a week, I, you know, when it's a five-day week show, you can actually miss a, sh- miss a show or two, but I'm guessing you wouldn't be so um, forgiving if I was to miss a, especially a Friday show, but any show, and we're doing it only three days a week. Uh, the fact that we got uh, renewed for a second season uh, probably means you do need to show up. To we're work. big time. Yeah, there you go. We have sponsors. What do we talk about? We've already talked about I already talked about segment two, segment three, segment four. First game of the year, a lot of question marks. Uh, we'll talk a lot with Matt Wilson. We'll talk a lot with um, uh, Austin Herrick about some of the X's and O's and diving in some of that. It's just sort of your general thoughts of excitement of the year and your expectations for this football team first. 
mine are not as high as others. And that's not to say I don't think that Randy Sanders is a great coach and that there are some really great players on this team. But because of some of the facts that we've divulged here on this show during this week, 59 freshmen and some question marks at some key positions and maybe some guys that right away aren't ready to contribute that we thought may be, I'm thinking that this team, if it is to finish above 500 and have a chance at the playoffs, that is a big, big success. Perhaps some think that the expectations should be higher than that. Some may have them higher than that in general because the team did make the playoffs in Randy Sanders' first season. I thought it was going to be like a three- or four-year timetable for Randy to come in here and change the culture and do things his way and build the program, get his guys in. He took in his first year, in less than a year's time, because he took over, I think it was like December 20th of 2017, he comes in and takes the team to the playoffs. Very impressive feat. The downside of that, and you'll take it, right, if you're Coach Sanders, but the expectations do raise in a lot of, I think, layman eyes, right? For you and me, we sit here and look at the depth chart and look at the fact that there are a ton of freshmen, and so does Coach, and being around practice every day and hearing some people, you know, talk about, and including coaches and players, the squad and what they expect and what they think is realistic and possible. I think that we tamper expectations a little bit and lower those because we know that, Last year was a special season. Uh, last year could not be duplicated if you did it a thousand more times, I don't think. So when it comes to tomorrow's game in particular, what I hope is that this is a um, within a three or four score game. It would be icing on the cake if it's a one score game or ETSU has a chance to win late. Um, again, I'm way more realistic and don't wear the blue and gold sunglasses, I think, as many as most around the building. Um, I think that Coach Sanders and the staff are going there with an expectation to win, and that's exactly how you have to do it. If you're not doing it that way, you're doing it the wrong way. But realistically, Appalachian State is a really, really, really good program. I mean, Vegas, uh, 32, 33, depending, 34, depending on where you look uh, as far as the, the lines, if you believe in that. We're certainly not encouraging uh, gambling, but what, it's something to see how the guys that do that for a living handicap a game, pretty healthy underdogs for the Bucks. Well, and you sent me a picture of a computer simulation that did it a thousand times. It was 45 to nothing, right? And so I think that when you look at the numbers and how statistics add up and the number of returners and quote-unquote returning production, there's a few metrics out there that uh, do things a bit differently um, on what a team really returns, then, yeah, it adds up to be a five, six-score game. But you don't play the games on simulations. You go out there and, you know, it's cliche, but you have to win the game on the football field, blah, 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 blah. Um, what do we know about Drinkowitz? You know, not a ton in terms of him being a leader of a program and a head coach. We don't know anything about the team under him in terms of Appalachian State. So could there be some first game jitters? Could Appalachian State not respond to him how Drinkowitz hopes – that they do. You know, so there are some question marks on Appalachian State side. They just don't happen to be on the field with returners. They happen to be on the sideline with a head coach. So I think that ETSU goes in with the expectation to put up a solid effort to be able um, to stick with Appalachian State. I think the way you do that is run straight downhill at them. I don't know what you think about the game plan and what you would do. We'll talk about that with Matt Wilgham here in a couple of seconds, your color man on the Buccaneer Sports Network. But I really think that you have to take advantage of your strengths and that's a very basic thing to say but your strength is up front your strength is in your backfield it's those linemen uh, it's those two running backs that you have um, taking the pressure off Chance Thrasher and some of those receivers while being experienced you know was a group that Randy Sanders kind of critiqued a little bit last year so that's my game plan what's your game plan I, I no I think it's it I think the the we talked to Adam went on Wednesday the biggest question mark the two cornerbacks 
so I think they know ETSU is going to run it. But in the same token, they probably feel real good about their safeties that they're going to come down and try to stop the run and force ETSU to throw the football. And that's going to be, uh, I, I think, where if ETSU is going to make some headway in the game and make it interesting, that's where I think they'll have to be able to prove that they can throw the ball. They're certainly going to have to run it. You know, they're not going to be able to be – when you go and play these games, you can't be one-dimensional. Uh, you got to be able to at least get some on the ground, got to get some in the air. Uh, and then, of course, special teams is another big question mark we can talk about till, till we're blue in the face. But talented kicker, talented punter, long snapper seems to be there. Question is, can they all put it together in their first college game on the road? And I'm not going to harp on this point, but mentally, right? It's Tyler Keltner, the kicker, you know, responding mentally. It's Chance Thrasher being the starter, being healthy. Mentally, how does he respond? The Bucks that are out there for the first time mentally in an atmosphere where there's 30,000 people there against a team that's won 57 of its last or 47 of its last, last 58 games. Uh, here's the thing that I'll leave you with in this first segment, and then we'll get to Matt Wilgham, ask him the same question, then Austin Herrick will tell us a little bit more in segment three before we get to bold predictions. 11 years ago, September 1st, 2007, I suppose 12 years ago now, 2019, Appalachian State goes to Michigan September 1st. It's going to be August 31st for game day for the Bucks tomorrow. Uh, an FCS school, granted, two-time defending FCS at that time, I think, Division One AA yep. national champions. And it was a team in Michigan that was number five in the country. Uh, so it's a cross-divisional matchup, much like the one that ETSU has against Appalachian State tomorrow. 32.5-point underdogs are ETSU tomorrow. Appalachian State were 33-point underdogs going into Michigan. There's a lot of things that – are symmetrical between these two matchups. Could the Bucks, Appalachian State, the Mountaineers? A, 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 how many times out of 100 do you think that can, happens? Can you App State, App State, right? That's basically exactly. what you're asking. Uh, the, the old ad, there, there's always a chance because you teed them, kick it off. And generally, if you have a shot, it's game one. Absolutely. It's much better to get that shot at game one than it is game and eight. And that's what it was for both those seven, teams in 2007. Exactly. So, uh, and the other thing is, Michigan was looking ahead to the next week. They had Oregon, which right. was another top ten matchup. And Appalachian State has another game before they play North Carolina. But are they looking towards week three and their big game in state rival North Carolina? We'll have to wait and see if that that's uh, maybe what they're looking ahead to. Uh, but but I think certainly ETSU first thing you have to survive the first quarter. Uh, and I, I think anytime you go in those games, if you can survive the first quarter. Then you can make it to halftime. Then the pressure goes back on the on uh, Appalachian State or the FBS team that you would be playing. Avoid a lightning delay. Exactly. That'd be yes, nice that too. too. And don't have halftime early. That, right. That would go. So how many times out of 100 do you think that ETSU pulls this upset? One, but you only need one. You only need one. That's right. It's you only, only need one. All right, one. Matt Williams down. Of course, he's early. It's Matt Williams. He's calling in a little bit early. We'll uh, step aside for a timeout. We'll talk to our color analyst, Matt Williams, after this timeout from San Jose Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Ah, Sandos and the sidekick of Friday before game day. Finally, the 2019 football season will tee it up and kick it off. 
ETSU taking on an old Southern Conference rival in Appalachian State. The Bucks played them back in 2003. Do you know who was on the color back then in 2003? Mike Gallagher. Uh, no. No, I was barely alive at that point. Well, he shows you how old he is. He doesn't want to be that old. But Matt Wiljam, uh, our first year working together back in 2003, and he joins us now via the telephone to talk about the contest Saturday. And I know you have some memories against Appalachian State, I'm sure, my friend. Absolutely, Jay and Mike. It's great to be on the show, and there really isn't a better Saturday on our schedule uh, than the one that we've got tomorrow. Uh, it's such a special game, particularly when you think about the old Southern Conference rivalry and the, the proximity of the of the universities. You know, this this is how close it is, and, and not many people know this, but Lee Morrow, Buck fans will know uh, who Lee Morrow is, former strength and conditioning. Uh, coach for ETSU still on the staff. He would ride his bike game day from Johnson City to Boone, North Carolina, for this ball game. Stop that's it. how close these the universities are. You're serious. You're serious right now that that was that's like a two thousand foot uphill. Like they're at thirty five hundred feet. I think we're at like seventeen hundred. I Johnson think they're City. at an even thirty three thirty three. Oh, are they really interesting? Mm-hmm. That's actually a true story, Matt. That's actually a true story. He would uh, he would. That's one of the things that he would do to motivate the guys is he'd leave early in the morning and would get there by game time and game time and welcome the team, you know, uh, into the stadium, standing there with his bike. Maybe one day we'll have to have Coach Morrow yeah, on. Yeah, talk to, about that. That's he used to do a few different motivational techniques, as strength coaches do. You but know, that's strength a coaches are different. Drive breeds, like how long of a bike ride I is know, that? It's only, it's only about a sixty-minute ride. That's only really? about sixty. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. only about sixty. I mean, now, it's now still game very day, long. Game day is going to be about ninety because there's about one way in. Uh, right. you, you can cut. Through. But on a bike, I don't even want to tell you which way I'm going to go because in case people go that direction, there's a there's a, a cut through. Sometimes people don't know about. But for the most part, most people go the the same way. And uh, at some point, it gets a two lane road and could be a little difficult. But it's a good sign, I think. Uh, ETSU back number one. Uh, you know, fifth year football. This would be the sixth year that App State has gone to FBS. The difference, I guess, Matt, from the old Southern Conference days is certainly Appalachian State has expanded the stadium. From sixteen thousand to to twenty eight can hold up to thirty when you get to standing room only, and of course now they play at the FBS level and compete in the Sun Belt instead of the old Southern Conference. They do, and you know everyone likes to point back to the Michigan game as as being the the tipping point for App State for for going and and uh, Jed, you and I've called a lot of games that, uh, and you've got a lot of great calls, but David Jackson's call at uh, Michigan is one of the best of all time. Uh, for that so so but but let me say this uh that was not the tipping point that was just the culmination of many years of winning southern conferences winning national championships it's that's that that's when uh the nation took hold of app status as an overnight success right so so uh, that was many years of developing and and what came to fruition was just an outstanding program we see was. now is is a commitment from the, the university. It's been a commitment from the uh, area. One of the things that I always like to say, particularly kind of on the trail to bring ETSU football back, was playing in Boone was one of my favorite places to go play because you know you come over the mountain and you pull into town and you can't you couldn't tell where the city of Boone ended and the campus of App State began because it was covered in black and gold. 
And uh, it's with that pride that when we pull onto ETSU's campus on game day that you see the parking lots full of tailgaters and, and blue and gold throughout the campus and around town. And uh, it, it really is a, uh, uh, a great thing to see what we have going on in Johnson City. App State was just, you know, maybe, you know, 20 years ahead of us in that. You know, I was going to say, Matt, that not only David Jackson, we talked about this in segment one, David Jackson, the similarity between ETSU and Appalachian State. Of course, David now works for us now on our ESPN3 broadcast. They were 33-point that day when Appalachian State upset Michigan State, or Michigan. 33-point favorites were the Wolverines in the big house. Appalachian State opened as 32-and-a-half-point favorites. Of course, this is a cross-divisional matchup, FCS versus FBS, as the Appalachian State-Michigan game was, and it was the season opener for both sides as well. Am I barking up a tree of coincidence or reminiscent upset? Hey, whatever it takes, Mike, to get a W inside of Boone is a, you know, I'll take, I'll take whatever it takes. Um, my first time being in Boone on game day was in 1997. I was a true freshman. Uh, it was the second road game ever. And, um, you know, we're, we're not even on their radar. But ETSU walks away with the largest defeat of App State uh, in the history of Kid Brewer Stadium. Uh, we had over 700 yards of offense, and to have 20-plus thousand people just go quiet was truly one of the best memories of my collegiate experience. So I'm hoping the same for the Bucks tomorrow to, you know, to shut down not only 20,000 people but shut down 30,000 people. Let me ask you, Matt, and we've discussed this a couple of times this week, I think that the game plan, and we'll talk about this a little bit more with Austin Herring, should just be run straight downhill at him. You've got Quay Holmes, you've got Jacob Sailors, you've got a strong offensive line, you've got a size advantage on that line. Appalachian State known for its speed, so you probably don't want to go to either edge, and maybe I'm simplifying it a bit too much, but perhaps in games like this, you do have to either simplify a bit or completely go over-the-top wonky, off-the-wall type stuff and really catch a team off guard with stuff that they've never seen before, certainly on tape from your side, but even from some other teams. What do you think the game plan needs to be? And I'll go ahead and spoil it for Austin Herrick in segment three. He's not going to give away the exact game plan. Believe me, I tried. But if, Matt, you were in the shoes of Herrick, of Mike Rader, uh, of anyone on the coaching staff, Randy Sanders himself, what would you devise to try and pull off this upset? You know, I think any time that you're playing up a level, you can't get too cute. You've got to play to your strengths. And, uh, you know, ironically, when, when ETSU football first came back, the, uh, the strength of our team was not in the offensive line. It was not in our secondary. Those were really the weaker links as we were pulling this together. It's, it's reversed this year, right? We've got, uh, you know, the, the offensive line is going to be considered a strength on this because of the size advantage we have you know we're averaging over 300 pounds uh, when you look at the running game the backs that we have I, I think we're going to feed those boys all day long I think you throw into that the the it's a first start for Chance Thrasher right this is going to be his first go at it and, and although he's been around programs for a while this is her first go. And I had a conversation with Coach Jamie Chadwell earlier this week, which is that's where Chance had transferred from, from Coastal Carolina. And he said, you know, although he's got experience, he's still really a freshman when it comes to game day. So, I, you know, I can tell you, in that scenario, you're going to want to make the game as simple for him as possible. 
and it doesn't get any simpler than turning around and handing the ball off to, to Jacob Sayers or Quay Holmes. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Appalachian State, and traditionally they are built on speed, a little undersized and speed, and talking to um, Billy Taylor and to Mike Rader, both coordinators, they basically said this will be the fastest team they have played. I think Coach Taylor went a step further, say it's the best team uh, top to bottom he's coached again since 2012 when he went and played Oregon when he was at Tennessee Tech. So high praise for Billy Taylor, but you know this firsthand. App State has always had speed. How hard is it to try to simulate? Because you can try to simulate all you want to what defenses are going to do, what they're going to bring at you. It's hard to justify and, and quantify exactly how fast they are when you try to work on this and how quickly, uh, as a former player, can teams adjust to the speed of the game. Listen, when you are playing the game, when you are playing the game, you, you're either going to get up to that level or you're not. And so the, the one way to counteract that speed is gang tack, tackling. You cannot count on one guy making a tackle. You've got to get there and you've got to be in position. Uh, when you think about where our secondary is, if they go play action, which I'm sure that they're going to do a great deal of, if they go play action, uh, Tyree Robinson and the guys cannot get caught staring at the backfield. Otherwise, you're going to have someone over the top of your head. So, so really, you just gotta you gotta you gotta get your game and motivate your game to be at that level. And uh, there's really no other way around it. And, and, and speed is a uh, speed is a great equalizer, even if you are uh, an undersized team. You know, you think about uh, I put it in basketball parlance. Uh, Timmy Smith, right, was undersized but could run circles around anybody on the court. Well, that's App State. They've traditionally been a little bit smaller but fast where it mattered. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's what they've built their success on. Matt, were you surprised by any of the depth chart and how things shook out? Uh, Will Huzzy, Anthony Spagnoletti, Braxton Richburg are the starting wideouts. Austin Rowan took that. Uh, nose tackle position. Uh, of course, the offensive line looked like it was going to be pretty set. Not a whole lot of surprises there. Of course, Chance Thrasher uh, at quarterback. There uh, were not, I don't think, in, in many people's minds, things that caught people totally off guard. Were you expecting things to shake out any other way than they did? You know, here's the deal. When you look at our depth chart, um, a lot of familiar names, both on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. Um, but it's that second level where you know i think that's where we're really young i think what's the number 58 freshmen on this roster uh, so if you look across the board at our at our starting line uh, we've got some familiar names it's that it's that next level where we're going to be young and so when you when you look at that what you want to say is get your best 11 on the field right that, that's what we have to do uh this year is get our best 11 on the field rotate youth in early and, and, you know, gain experience quickly on that uh, on that 2D. 15 seconds or less, less, Matt, because we got to run. What defines success for ETSU this weekend against Appalachian State? Listen, you're playing Boone. You always go for a W, right? That, that's just the way that works. You, you walk out of Boone with a W, that's going to be a memory that you're always going to have. I think after that, it's solidifying quarterback, solidifying that offensive line, uh, and then finding out who, who our wide receivers are going to be. That's from an offense perspective. Let me say this. I think the big, the biggest question that we haven't really talked about this season is going to be the play of our kicker, right? Because we are replacing the second leading scorer in the history of the ETSU with J.J. German exiting. The, the play at 
kicker for us. It's going to be a key thing on Saturday. we got true freshmen that we're walking out there with. Matt, we can't wait, buddy. Uh, tomorrow game day doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't. Uh, let me say this, Johnson City, come on out. It's going to be a great day. Appreciate it. It's Matt Wilgham who will be joining me uh, all season long in color of ETSU football. Matt, we'll talk to you later on the podcast. Coming up next, from one quarterback to another, Austin Herring joins us right after this timeout from word from Santos and Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network Friday edition. We are talking Appalachian State and ETSU almost exclusively here today. Bold predictions are coming up in just a bit, and we will have some on ETSU football, some on the FCS, and some on uh, perhaps Power 5 football or, or anything that uh, tickles our fancy, shall we say. Austin Herrick is back with us on a Friday. Wednesday, we had a conversation with him about his time in Austria. He is the perhaps soon-to-be continental MVP of European football. There are statues going up in every country he went to, from what I understand. That is, if he wins the MVP voting, make sure to vote. Uh, go to AFC Vienna Vikings. Uh, that's the general name of the Twitter handle. Uh, certainly, if you type that in, you'll be able to find the actual handle. Click on that. They have some links where you can vote for Austin Herrick, who has, from what we understand, been getting tons and tons of support, at least from his family. So said you. Right. Yeah, they've, they've been doing a lot of the work there, so <laughs> I appreciate that. I voted once, but I might uh, get back on the train again, uh, depending on how this segment goes, so no pressure, uh, if you want to be <laughs> Continental MVP. Uh, so we talked with Austin, Austin about Austria, and now he's back. You, you may have noticed, if you tuned into the Wednesday show, that uh, I'm not sure I expected you to be back. Uh, I... I think when you went to Austria, uh, I know you had your apartment up through like July and the time frame was basically, well, I'm going to be back, but my apartment's going to be out and, you know, you're, you're coming up right against the season. And so is there going to be something coaching related that was going to be able to work out for you? So when I started to hear the rumblings uh, that the the prodigal son had returned to Johnson (laughs) city, uh, I was uh, a little bit surprised. Uh, So, were you as well when you came back over from Austria? Like, what were those first few days like? Had you been talking to people about getting back into coaching while you were over there to kind of lay some framework? Like, how did the process go? Yeah, uh, one of the things about going over there was it kind of bought me some time to figure out where I was going and what I was going to do. And it, the cool thing about it is it it ended, you know, right before fall training camp would start. So that was uh, that was another cool thing about going over there. So. The whole time I was trying to stay in contact with coaches and communicate and, and see you know, what options I had out there. Um, I talked to a few places, but around the middle of July, I pretty much locked down that I'd be back here um, at ETSU. And um, The first few days I got back, I had two days at home, and then I was up here for training camp. So I just tried to sleep and 
rest and eat as much as I could, uh, just normal southern food because I hadn't had that in so long. So it's been nice to get back to Johnson City and uh, be around a familiar setting and familiar people. Were there other options aside from offensive quality control coach ETSU? Um, yeah, there was a few spots at other schools, but essentially the same position. Um, and, you know, another chance to learn from Coach Sanders and the rest of the staff. And, um, you know, I, as I said earlier, just getting back to a familiar place. I'd been somewhere completely different and foreign to me for, you know, six months. So I thought it was kind of important to get back to a place I knew at least for a little bit. From what I understand, quality control coach is an actual job. I mean, told from those off here, it is a real thing. Like, <laughs> you know, when you hear these titles in football, like spread game analyst and quality control coach, you're never really sure what they entail. And you told me that you're here basically like 16, 17 hours a day. So obviously it entails quite the amount. Give us a look inside what a quality control coach does, because certainly when I heard that, I was just like, I, I'm not sure. Like, I don't quite know. Uh, and I, I can kind of look in the title and, and figure it out a little bit. But uh, since it is a, a real gig that you now have, tell me what's going on. Yeah, so, I mean, everything from class checks to input and data uh, from practice and for games and uh, for scouting. So, yeah, you know, I pretty much get here around 6.30, hmm. 7 o'clock in the morning and don't leave until around 9 or, or 10 most days. Wow. So, yeah, I just putting in data is the biggest thing right now, drawing up the, the cards for scout team, making sure guys are lined up, um, you know, going to get Coach Coffee, running, getting him <laughs> dinner at Subway, uh, things like that. And, um, you know, just quality control is actually a pretty good definition, making sure that the coaches don't have to do anything they probably don't need to do um, so they can focus on their jobs and coaching the guys and, and run their meetings. So uh, getting the film up, uh, making sure everything's in there the right way and, you know, making sure we've got everyone at meetings and at class and at practice. And, yeah, it's just a kind of smorgasbord of, you know, different activities. Quality control in every sense of the word. Like right. the program and those, I guess you'd say, foundational things mm -hmm. are on your shoulders. I was out of practice on Saturday. You're working with the quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Last year, you're wrapping up, what, 41 starts that you had in the first four years of the program being back. You're working with them, and uh, you're hustling. You're still the same guy. You know, you're, you're still out at practice. You're Austin Herrick. You're pushing the pace. You're, you're leading guys. Uh, but you go from being the literal on-field leader of a team to, you know, a piece. Yeah. Like you said, doing a lot of the foundational stuff. Like Not, not the glory, not the things that people want to do you're, you're getting into a different part of your life at what is right now a uh, very low level type task things very essential to a program obviously it's not the prestigious position you held what's that transition been like yeah you know it's different um I kind of knew it was coming right. um at the end of last season I was like well you know I probably won't be getting interviewed much anymore my opinions not <laughs> look at you now look yeah, at look, you now like, I've made it here on the <laughs> Sandos and the sidekick so we're not erecting any statues on Lake Europe so yeah pump the okay brakes. yeah I'll pump the brakes there but but yeah you know it it's something I thought about and I've really for the past two to three years thought that coaching is what I wanted to do and um you know knowing that kind of planning out how to get to where I want to go this is part of it so um yeah, it, it's something. It's definitely a humbling experience, but I, you know, honestly, I've enjoyed every second of it. It's been a lot of fun, and just to get to game plan and 
um, just sitting there with the coaches and see what they have to say and being on the other side of things and sitting in coaches meetings has been really cool because as a player you always wonder what goes on and it's kind of like that curtain has been lifted for me I can kind of see the other side of things so um, I really have enjoyed it and um, it's you know I work long hours but it's not something that I um, you know dread or or don't look forward to I wake up every morning ready to to go to the office and do what the coaches need me to do because you are the same guy right anything that you're going to do is going to be all in right I mean you're on the field as a coach whatever your first instinct is going to be I'm going to put in the hours necessary. I'm going to do my best at it. I'm going to succeed. Yeah, that's that's the plan. If I want to do something, I want to do it the best I can do. So um, that's been the tough part is I, I try to find a few things each day that I can work on to get better at, whether it's with coaching or you know with my spiritual life or whatever. Um, but it's tough to do that because my schedule is completely you know up in the air. Right. Whenever a coach needs me to do something, I go do it or – um, just get done things as fast as I can get done and the right way. So, yeah, that's been that's been interesting. But, yeah, it's uh, th- th- I guess that is my natural inclination. All right, now the juicy stuff for the fans. Now, last year you couldn't really say a lot on air because you're the quarterback, you're in the program, and you you wanted to you know play it between the lines, right? You had to. Right. Uh, you couldn't come on and just be like, well, this guy this and this guy that. And I'm not asking for that this time either. But as a coach, you have a different perspective. And you're in the media now, and you don't have to necessarily uh, have the same on-air persona if you don't want. You can if you do want it. You don't have to if you don't want it. It has to feel very liberated, I'm sure. Uh, the position you left vacant, the one that's been the talk of camp, the one that everyone wants to know about, the one where Chance Thrasher was named the starter on Monday. Uh, give us your thought on the quarterbacks that have been in camp. Of course, Cade Weldon had the injury. Uh, you've got Tyler Rydell. The mayor of Tampa, I mean, a guy that has high expectations for himself, uh, thinks very highly of his abilities, and from what I've heard and understand, so do many people around the program and many that have been around him. Your thoughts on Thrasher, Weldon, Rydell, and the rest, and how things shook out? Yeah, um, yeah, I think, and, and Coach would say this too, I think we're more talented at the quarterback position this year than we were last year, <laughs> uh, which is you know weird Stop to say, it. but you know I, I do believe that. Um, now, you know, it, it once you have talent, you got to do something with it. And I think these guys do. You know, Cade, um, unfortunately, um, was injured, and, and I think most people know that. But he was having a heck of a camp, and um, you could tell that he had played at a higher level, and uh, he he was used to the speed of the game. Same thing with Chance. You know, he came in and he throws a really pretty ball, and um, you could tell he had been around college football for a few years, just the way he prepares and the way he does things, and. Um, you know, some of the, the guys who had been here with Cam Lewis and Trey Mitchell, um, those guys kind of were in a similar situation to I was last year where they knew all the guys on the team, and, and, you know, now these new guys come in. And so that can be a little awkward initially. But, um, you know, they've, they've really taken, I guess, the, the advantage they had in terms of knowing the offense and, and ran with it. And, um, you know, when they go in to, to practice, you don't see many mental mistakes because – They've already had a year and a half or so with uh, Coach Sanders. So that's been cool to watch them grow and progress. I, I'm not sure I was expecting to see as much improvement out of them as I did, um, you know, coming back from Europe. But, uh, you know, the mayor of Tampa, um, you know, he came in and he's been a heck of a player. I'm excited to see him and see how he progresses through this year. And, um, you know, he, he comes to work every day, you know. Um, 
he's, he must have a lot on his plate, you know, being the mayor and all. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, such a big city. Yeah, such a big city, you know. Um, but in all seriousness, he he comes to work every day, and um, I definitely see why coach recruited him because he has a lot of talent and. Um, you know, he's got a confidence about him that I think is contagious, which is which is always nice. I laugh when you say that the team is more talented at the quarterback position this year because it really doesn't stop with you and Sanders, right? You, you, yeah. you two will always get – he will never stop saying that Austin Herrick was just a, you know, a guy that gutted out wins and is gritty and, you know, competed. But he'll, he'll never give you the credit for talent, will he? No, I, we, <laughs> uh, he certainly did, didn't put high expectations on me to the – to the media and everyone out there and so it's fun to sit in the meetings now and he'll make kind of offhanded comments about well you know it's good to have a quarterback where I can call this play now <laughs> and so he'll just kind of give me a look and um but no I mean you know he he's given me some compliments behind closed doors that I appreciate and I appreciate how how tough he was on me because it certainly made me a better person and definitely a better player i'm quite sure he will never let any of those compliments come into the public eye no i wouldn't i wouldn't be holding my breath on those (laughs) a lot of people around the program have flat out said that this year's team is the most talented since football has returned would you agree with that a hundred percent i think that it if it wasn't then there'd be something wrong this is um i guess the fifth or sixth recruiting class um and certainly each recruiting class has gotten more talented so i think yeah, without a doubt, this is the most talented team we've had since it's been back. Is Chance Thrasher the best quarterback in the roster? Yeah, I mean, Coach said so, so yeah, I think... Uh, What's your opinion, Yeah, coach? Well, yeah my <laughs> You are co- a coach now, too. My, my opinion is Coach Sanders' opinion. I, I think he made the right call, and uh, we'll see what happens here the next few weeks. What about the pass catchers? How do you feel about Richburg, Spagnoletti, Huzzy, and then you've got the two, and I've been hammering this point all week long, uh, Isaiah Wilson and Jamal Couch, and maybe my expectations were too high for them coming in because all we heard was, oh, Wilson flipped at the last second. He's coming. That's huge because it's like the first real time that we've gotten a guy in the 11th hour that can really make a difference. Uh, and then Jamal Couch, I mean, 6'4", 227. You look at him and you're just like, this man is a superior athlete. They're not listed as number ones on the depth chart. When you've watched your quarterbacks throw to them because you do work with the quarterbacks every day, and when you've seen them go out to work and, and do what they do on the field, why were they not number ones? You know, I, I, I don't really know exactly that that answer, but I definitely think we're much more talented at that position. Um, you know, we, we've been – some of those older guys have had maybe more experience in the offense and, and things like that, but um, I'm excited to see what those guys do. You know, the Coach Rader has been really hard on them um, this fall, getting them right, getting them prepared to play, so – I definitely think that um, we'll see, um, you know, some some bigger plays made this year. You know, we had Kobe and, and Ari and some of those guys who left from last year. Who, you know, Ari was very talented and could make some plays, and he came on there late for us. Um, but you know, Kobe was just a guy who could kind of, who's similar to me. You know, just figure out a way to get open and you know make plays when we needed them. So I'm looking to see a guy like that step up for us, but. As a whole, I think we have more options in terms of where we can plug in guys and guys who can extend plays after they get the ball. All right, what's the game plan? No, I'm kidding. You don't have to come <laughs> to the game plan. Uh, outlook for Appalachian State, though, uh, do you see a path and a definitive path to victory here, and what is that path? Obviously, you go into – I don't care if it's Alabama or it's a Division three school. You go into every week. 
hoping to win and expecting to win. And if you're not doing it that way, I'm quite sure Coach Sanders would say, and you would say you're not doing it the right way. So uh, knowing that, do you expect uh, the Bucks to be solid run? Is it going to be a mix? Uh, defensively, what do you do? You know, give us some insights on the thought process there, having looked at Appalachian State film. Yeah, Appalachian State's very talented. Maybe the, the most talented team we've played since you know we've brought football back. They uh, – you know they've, they're a very fast team. Um, you, that jumps out immediately when you look at them on film. Um, and so, you know, in these games like this, you can't um, do anything to help them out. You can't have silly penalties. You can't turn the ball over early. Um, kind of like we talked about last year against Tennessee. You know, surviving that initial wave of the first quarter or so, and you know, staying in the game and not letting anything get out of hand early. I think is critical. Um, also just just doing your job in the first game of the year you always want to show out and you know show what you've you've done in the off season the work you put in but I think for us it's one of those things where guys if they can just trust their job and uh, what the let the offense bring what it brings and just do what they need to do um, then we'll have a chance and and we'll see where it goes from there but uh, if we go out there and don't do those things and kind of get overwhelmed by the situation in the moment, then it could be a long day. But um, in terms of running or passing and all that, I'll, I'll Can't give that, that away. Up, huh? Yeah, I'll leave that <laughs> up to coach. I'm still gonna, uh, you know, play play the the coach card on that one. Do you think they're more talented than Tennessee or better than Tennessee? Is it probably a difference between more talented and a better team? My thought has been perhaps they are a better team, maybe not more talented because they don't have those huge, fast athletes. They do have some athletes, but maybe not guys that are as big, but you know, SEC versus what I always want to say is Atlantic Sun for whatever reason, but the Sun Belt, maybe the color scheme is the same. I have no idea, but out of the Sun Belt, Appalachian State. Tennessee last year, much similar to App State, they had a new coaching staff, but I think Tennessee was in a position like we were last year, very – um, you know, we had some challenges in terms of installing the play, so we're kind of vanilla at first, and uh, I think Tennessee maybe was that way too. But um, you know, App State's got a very experienced team, a team that's won championships and bowl games, and um, you know, they they are talented. I I don't know, like you said, in terms of talented as Tennessee, but um, for a, a total team, you know, that this is probably the best team I have seen on film since I've been at ETSU. And that's, that was my thought, too, and I kind of alluded to that with Coach Sanders in the press conference on Monday, and he, he wouldn't really compare the two, but it certainly seems like you bring back, you know, eight or nine guys represent on offense, you got a number of defensive returners, and you won 11 games last year, you're 4-0 in bowls, you won 47 in your last 58, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and yes, it's a new coaching staff, but, but certainly they look... Uh, impressive uh, without even looking at film, just looking at the statistics. Let me ask you this, and you don't have to give a definitive answer, but it seems like, and this is just you know layman term here, but up front, I think we go about 308 per guy on average you know, in the offensive line, and Appalachian State doesn't necessarily have the huge space eaters in that front seven. Does that lead a team to try and go out and bully some of these players that are on the other side of the ball, if you do have you know, 305, 310 pounds per guy on the offensive line, it seems like that would be the obvious way to go, especially considering the inexperience in terms of the system ETSU has, the quarterback position. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think you certainly look at the you know, strengths and weaknesses of the opponent and you try to attack those and um, you know, stay away from their strengths and take advantage of the weaknesses. So, um, yeah, I, I could see there you know, where that could be the case, but 
um, you know, I, I'm just interested to see how this first one plays out. Um, it'll be my first chance as a coach to kind of sit up there in the box and, and see what goes on. So, so yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to, to be a part of that and kind of let this one play out. Talk about seeing the game from a different angle. So you are going to be up in the box. And do you have specific game day? I'm sure there's some game day duty that they've assigned you. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll just be charting plays and, um, you know, giving input or, you know, telling them the, the data that I have, um, you know, whenever they need it. So, yeah. You pump for that? Oh, yeah. I'm excited. I really am. Yeah. It'll be your first time in your football life. 100%. Yeah, not being on the field and being on this side of things. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it for sure. Good luck. And ETSU and Appalachian State, 335 is official kick time tomorrow. It's Kid Brewer Stadium. 30,000 are expected. The Bucks and Mountaineers first matchup since 2003. 2019 season opener here on the Buccaneer Sports Network. 2 o'clock pregame. We'll talk to Austin probably next week, I would imagine, unless I've scared him away with all the game plan questions. Thanks again, Austin. Thank you. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandoz live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m on the Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model citizen when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and makes his money, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold prediction. Those are all pretty bold. Why, why, why is it, again, you, you, we record every show just, just to bring those back up? Is that? Is that what that is? Yeah, for embarrassment, essentially. That's the only reason, really. God, we're so bad at bold predictions. But all right, we're going to try it again. We're going to try it again. I love the new bumper. Of course, uh, you know, we had to freshen up for how bad we were from uh, before year one to uh, how bad we were in between one and two. All right, Fletcher McGee, Andrew Locke. What was the other one? The AAF. Mm. You were all in on the AAF, brother. I mean, the whole year you had, like, executives and – or you at least tried to get them on. Well, you, were, well, you remember I had you one actually on, Mike Waddell. Oh, uh, yeah, you'd be an App State guy. Yep. Fitting that you uh, used to reminisce about uh, oh, ECSU yeah. times and things like that. Oh, yeah. So you remember I went from hating the AAF because no one would come on and visit with me because they thought they were big time. Yeah, then you were all in. And, and then I was all in when Mike Waddell came out. I was just like, this is a great guy. I'm, I support the AAF. And, and the first and couple weeks were pretty fun to watch. And uh, then Tom Dundon, is that his name, uh, yeah, came in with $250 million yeah. bucks and pulled his investment, and then the whole league folded before the championship even. Couldn't even let it get through the championship that's sad to me Andrew Locke is an unfortunate one I think a lot of people would have shared that sentiment though before he actually retired and was booed it's, off the well, field and, and a couple of mine I was very emotional with the Josh Gordon the Patriots right so <laughs> yeah. I, I thought there's no way he's ever coming back I clearly You're happy, though. you got to be thrilled I, though I, I clearly was misled from some people in Knoxville I don't want to hear about that because <laughs> that one was never that one might have been the more off base than any of them of them all because he was 
all but taking the job if you read the Los Angeles Times news uh, article on that. Oh, and believe then, me, on the Monday bumper recapping everything that oh, we said, you're there's have plenty that. of, oh, yeah. All right, Don't trust anyone from Knoxville. I think yeah, that's and Antonio the, Brown honestly thought, I don't know where that came from. I just had a bad day. If he would have gone to anywhere but Oakland, would he right, be Right, you fit in with I the mean, misfits. Kinda... You're allowed to do that. So, yeah. all right. So, what, so here, here's sort of the rules, what we do. We're going to do season-long predictions. We'll do a couple on ETSU. We'll do a Southern Conference one that doesn't involve ETSU. That's sort of our rule there. And then we may do a national one, right? All right, who get, since, you, since we tied, uh, you get to go first. I get to go first? Is that okay. how that works? You tied. Go. 0-0 zero, zero okay. is the score. We're resetting from last year mm-hmm. where each of us are, I guess, 0-0-1 oh, because oh, we – Tied last year, and maybe to the victory go the spoils this year. Maybe you get two seasons worth of victories, perhaps. Uh, you, you get the first season as well. We can talk about that later. But mm-hmm. I think Quay Holmes is going to rush for 1,500 yards or more this year. Uh, it may be a bit ambitious of a prediction, but Quay Holmes looks even more the part than he did last year. We saw how he ran the ball uh, in his first season with the Bucks, and the fact that he has only gotten bigger and stronger and what I presume and what looks to me to be better uh, means to me that he will be uh, statistically a juggernaut this year and maybe even win should the Bucks have some team success, a national player of the year. If he gets to 1,500 yards, I'm quite sure he would be in that conversation. I'm leaving the national player of the year part out of the actual prediction itself, but Quay Holmes, 1,500 yards, the only thing that may derail him, of course, injury and God forbid, but the other thing, Jacob Saylor's maybe getting some more touches. That could take uh, some of the yardage away from Holmes, but I feel like with how he looks, the trust in him, and I think a little bit of redemption that he's got on his mind, too, for that Jacksonville State fumble on the goal line. He's going to come out with a purpose. I, I, and I think it's going to be like a snake draft. I'll do one and two for me and then go back oh, to okay. two and three. So I, on the offensive end, I think ETSU's finally going to find a wide receiver that is going to be the guy. Mm. And I'm going to predict wide receiver that becomes the guy will have eight or more touchdown receptions. The Bucks have not had anybody with five or more since – football has come back so uh, I'm also going to go defensive a guy that didn't even play a snap last year in redshirt it will lead the team in tackling new inside linebacker Donovan Manuel wow I think he's going to step in I, uh, I don't want to go so far to say the new Dylan Weigel I think that that's putting a lot on him early but I think uh, he's going to step in and uh, be indoctrinated here against Appalachian State early and I think he'll find his way and I think he's going to be the guy that's going to make the key stops when needed. So I'm going Donovan Manuel will lead the team and tackles a redshirt freshman. That is bold. Uh, I'm going with maybe something that could be considered a little less bold because we know what we have in this player for ETSU football. And the Sear player is going to have 10 or more sacks this year, and that's facing double teams, triple teams, uh, really every uh, part of the side of the line that he is on. He's going to draw everyone from that side to him because he is such a force. Uh, last year, he did have six sacks, um, so some may not view it as uh, bold to the point of being you know, a freshman leading the team in tackles, but I also think this year player, while doing that, uh, is going to live up to that preseason defensive player of the year moniker and award that he got from the Southern Conference. He is going to go on to the NFL scouting combine, and he is going to be invited to that. Uh, I believe what, of course, helps is his size. Naturally, uh, looking at the man, you can see that he's quite the player. And, of course, scouts just love the look of a guy. Uh, weighs in at 271 pounds, six foot five. Uh, that is not part of the official bold prediction, but there's going to be some postseason hardware, I think, for Nasir player. He's going to have double-digit sacks. He's going to up it from the six he had last year. He's going to bust through some double teams, and he's also going to help ETSU's defense once again put up a tremendous all-around performance. What about your national? 
Or well, SoCon. I'm sorry, SoCon. SoCon, yeah, because I, I could do a – I guess I'll do a national and a SoCon. Let me just throw them both out there real quick. I think Chattanooga is going to win the Southern Conference. I think I'm going to stab your eyeballs out. <laughs> I think I'm literally going to take this pin, jump over the barrier, and stab your eyeballs out. Is it out. something I want? No. But they no, looked no, – no, no normal human being would They Go looked ahead. pretty good last night. Let me give you a quick idea why I'm going out on such a very thin and very hated limb, certainly by you and many around Johnson City right now who want to jump through their computer and also stab my eyeballs out. They're one of three teams that could have really gone either way last year in the Southern Conference, by my estimation. Let me just give you a quick Southern Conference rundown here because we haven't really done that so far on the show, at least in this first week. You had the Bucks, who won games by 3-2, 3-3-2, and 3.16 combined points in Six games. You know, their only other two wins were 45-0, one over Gardner-Webb, and 28-7 on opening night against Mars Hill. Mercer, they had six one-score games. They were 2-4 and four in those. Uh, so, again, that's a season that could have gone one way or another, didn't go their way when all was said and done. And Chattanooga, maybe you can say that they got what they deserved last year. They finished in a three-way tie for fifth with Mercer and also Citadel. They had six one-score games also. They went 3-3 three and three in those. So, did it even out? Perhaps. But if they would have had the season ETSU had, and again, I'll say it over and over, you do the season a thousand times over like ETSU did it with six games where you win by 16 combined points, you probably don't get all six of those games. But if Chattanooga would have been that team, then they're conference champions. And they're going to the playoffs. And obviously that isn't how it went. And so if ifs and buts, as Coach Sanders would say, we're candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. As it is, those are the three teams that were in tight games last year. Their season's really decided by a couple of those games either way. Teams that had decisive results. Wofford shared the conference title, right? Eight of their nine wins came by more than one score. Western Carolina, I still think, and I know that uh, you're a bit higher on them than most, um, but they finished eighth last year. They won their first three games before losing out. Only two one-score games on, on that eight-game losing streak to end the season. And VMI, they finished last, of course. They're only win over Tusculum, 20-11. to 11, Lost 10 other games, four by one score. Uh, but, I mean, you wouldn't say that VMI really missed out on a good season, right? It wasn't close for them, whether it be, um, you know, getting up towards 500 or even pushing towards the top half of the conference. And then there were teams that were in between. Furman shared the conference title, of course. 0-3 to start, losing those games by 81 combined points. They did have a two-point loss to ETSU, of course, the biggest comeback in ETSU history. But Furman won six of their last seven then after that, and they were three and one in one-score games in that time. Their only loss to Sanford uh, by 13 in that six-of-seven stretch. Then there was Sanford finishing one game back of the three-way tie for the conference title. Three of the first four came down to the final minutes with Florida State, Mercer, and Chattanooga. Uh, the final six, though, were all two-plus score games. And then Citadel, five of their first six games were separated by one score. They went two and three, didn't play a one-score game the rest of the year. So I've separated it into three tiers, three teams in each one, right? Teams that were right on the cusp of either doing something great and missed out by a couple of one-score games, or ETSU being on the other side of that in that same category where they basically won every close game. And there's the teams that had those decisive results and I think are pretty locked into where they're going to finish the year. Wofford's probably going to be up around the top again. Uh, Western Carolina and VMI, I think, are going to be closer to the bottom again. And then Furman, you know, we're kind of in between. It was, uh, you had your decisive results both ways. So, uh, again, I think that you could maybe even put those three teams, Furman, Sanford, and Citadel, along with Wofford, Western, and VMI. But I also think they're different. You know, I think Furman, Sanford, and Citadel could finish anywhere from two to eight 
where Wofford, Western Carolina, and VMI, I think, are locked in. Three of the top four quarterbacks in the SoCon are back. One of them is Nick Tiano from Chattanooga, Reese Udinsky of VMI, also back, and then Tyree Adams, of course. Top three running backs are back. Uh, Mercer's uh, Tyree Devison, uh, of course, uh, and I shouldn't even say uh, running backs, really, but those that were tops in running yards. Quay Holmes, of course, for TSU, and then uh, Tyree Adams. Three of the top five receivers are gone. Kelvin McKnight of Stanford, Chris Thornton of VMI, Marquis Servin of Mercer, uh, Mullen and Patton are back from Western Carolina. That's a quick little SoCon preview. Long story short, I think Chattanooga was on the verge of finishing better than they did uh, last year. I think they were very close to doing something that, that ETSU did. Um, I think that this year with Tiano back, uh, being able to lead that offense um, in Chattanooga, kind of having been off their game over the past couple of years, uh, they're they're due a bit to come back and, and join the fray at the top of the SoCon. And um, should my bold prediction come true, I will not necessarily be happy on the whole, right? I won't celebrate. I won't go in the streets and say, ah, I told you so. This is amazing because I don't want that, of course. I want ETSU to be conference champions. But – uh, I think if we're looking bold and just keeping it in that realm and separating what we want from what we think could happen, uh, then that is my prediction. Uh, please don't hate me, all of ETSU Nation. It's also, Clemson isn't making the uh, college football playoff. Just to sneak that in at the end. Not, not in the top four. Okay. No. Uh, I'm going to go. Last year it was ETSU, the preseason eighth team that got in the playoffs. Of course, share a championship. I'm going to predict this team not to share the championship, but – to sneak in the playoffs, I'm going to Western Carolina. Mm. The Catamounts, the most dynamic player in the league, uh, and had a lot of games that maybe didn't end up tight in the final score, but were tight in the fourth quarter. I'm going to Western Carolina to get uh, into the uh, FCS playoffs. And then my national, I was going to go no SEC team in the championship game. Are we both in the same boat? Of, oh, interesting. Uh, and I think they've been in the title game, you know, 14 out of – 15 years or whatever it's been they've been that's bold. so i'm going no, no sec in the uh, championship game so i'm going there so i'm going so you were riding the vmi bandwagon <laughs> on bold predictions last year and now you're on i'm not Carolina, saying the on the weekend, i'm <laughs> not saying that i won't be on uh reese <laughs> to, to try to win some more oh games i'm sure you i'm you just can't saying escape it. it's in your that's blood the weekly. Now. that's the weekly how much hate am i going to catch for picking chattanooga to win the southern conference <laughs> Be easy and merciful, ETSU fans and fans of Santos and the Sidekicks. I still want ETSU. I would like, I would like uh, an uprising to vote you out of the show. <laughs> like, Let's work for me. Great. Uh, That's what are we work doing for Monday? You. Oh, I'm no, quite no. sure you wouldn't Monday have that. Monday is a holiday. We're going to recap. I think uh, Kobe Kelly may actually stop by. Kobe Kelly. Yeah, going to have right. Kobe so Kelly. We'll going to have more predictions recap. recap. We'll have recap uh, of the game. Uh, coach comments. All that stuff. Coach comments. Yeah. All that stuff. So week one, Santos Sidekick in the books. Don't forget, 3.30 kick on Saturday, 2 o'clock, pregame show. All the coverage on the Buccaneers. Sports Network many ways to keep up with it. And we'll be back next week with another exciting show. We'll talk about Appalachian State coming up on Monday on the Buccaneers Sports Network. See ya.